Coming up, a brief chat with the product team on the Open Workgroup Suite and our latest installment of news from Novell Support, right here on Novell Open Audio. Welcome once again to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's happening in and around the Novell universe. I'm your host, Ted Hager. Coming up later this week, we've got an, our much-anticipated interview with the Samba Project's fearless leader, Jeremy Allison. We're also talking to the Mad Penguin co-founder, Adam Doxtator, about his recent conversion to SUSE Linux 10.1. Today, I've got a question for you, though. The question is, how is it the one single software vendor has come to dominate so much of everyone's IT budget? The first guess that most people venture is that they own the desktop operating system. And you might think that that's the direction I want to go with this today. But no, actually, it's not just that. That's part of the whole equation. But if you guess that it's just the desktop OS, then you might be overlooking something so obvious that you don't even think about it. I'm talking about the Office Suite. The Office Suite allows for quite a lock-in strategy because it forces a back-end infrastructure. If you figure it this way, if you have Office and it's got an email client built into it that connects with one back-end best that requires a specific platform, pretty soon you're uh, trapped into what we call the Enterprise Agreement, this uh, massive document that allows you to access a whole bunch of different software from one major vendor out there. How do you break out of that when the office suite is so necessary? Earlier this month, Novell released the Open Workgroup Suite, which brings together a back-end server platform, a collaboration system, a management system, and even a Linux option for the desktop. But best of all, it includes the Novell edition of Open Office, and that's for either Linux desktops or Windows desktops. So here's a way that you can get the Novell edition of Open Office on Windows. Because the Open Workgroup Suite brings together several Novell products, we didn't go for a very technical interview on this one. Instead, we spoke to the product managers on this, Rick Fowler, the product line manager, and VP of product management, Alan Teachin, to figure out what it is exactly that they're trying to do with this new offering, the Open Workgroup Suite. So let's check out what they have to say. Let's talk a little bit about what the Open Workgroup Suite is and what it actually does. Uh, Rick, maybe you can give us the quick overview of it. You bet. Open Workgroup Suite is kind of our our, you know, our first approach in, into the marketplace to uh, provide our, our sales force with a, with a competitive offering to the uh, either the core cloud or Microsoft EA agreement for you know full suite services for what we do here at Novell. The specific instead of our um, our bundle here, our we include Open Enterprise Server. Group-wise, uh, the Zenworks Suite, NLD, or, or you know, the Novell Linux Desktop, and, and kind of a new and exciting piece that we have, OpenOffice supported on Windows. All right, so when you say you're targeting that enterprise agreement of Microsoft, you've got not just a few components like a workgroup server or something like that. You've got it all the way down to the Office package. We've got it all the way down to the Office package. And right. the management is in there with the Zenworks and so on. So you've really, you've really actually got a full, like, complete bundle right there. Why would somebody go with this rather than just go with Microsoft's uh, wares? I mean, most people use Microsoft's Office. Most people have an Exchange server. If you listen to Microsoft's various stuff, they... All of it's deployed anyway. So why would somebody go with this? Why would some? Why does this appeal to people? Well, I, I can give you a lot of reasons. Um, and one kind of really exciting one for us right now is we are low cost on this one. Um, depending on how you do the math, we, we have different flavors, and I'll, we can get to that in a minute. But we, we stack up anywhere from 30 to 70% less 
with feature sets and functionality and, and the good old stuff that is uh, probably superior in most you know matchups to to the to the offering that they have. So at Novell, we're coming out of the gate with this suite that is very very competitively priced, and that is one very nice way to look at it. And that's the first thing I would throw out there. Another reason is is that a big a big focus of the open worker suite is really to be open. And when we talk about open, it includes things like open source. It also means a lot of uh, our, our intention is to go down this real strong open standards kind of environment that doesn't lock the customer into only one way of being. And it, so the so the intention is, is, is a customer tries to take on other types of capabilities that may or may not come from our company, they will not be locked into just our way of doing things. And, and that does transcend to that, you know, like you said, it's not just the open standards, but it's the, the alternative. And, you know, getting this type of functionality from somebody else um, besides Microsoft has has been a little bit of a challenge. Being able to provide this full suite from somebody like Novell that can stand behind it, very nice alternative to the customer base. Now, you talked about flavors. You said there's something about different flavors of this. I would assume that that's different mixtures of these products. And we have a NetWire Linux release, which is is priced aggressive. We have a Linux-only release. Then we have a rental release. And so we actually we hit that three different ways. Now, if the pricing associated with it is, is 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 very aggressive, and that's what I was talking to you about earlier. The, the netware side of it, we we uh, start at one hundred fifty dollars per user for the full set of these services, and it is netware and Linux, so they can deploy it on on the traditional netware open enterprise server line and include Linux if they'd like to. We have an, an aggressive new one going out there, which is Linux only. It doesn't include the netware offering but it includes the rest of those services for, for Linux that we've talked about. And that's the very aggressively priced at 110 And then something we're really excited about is, is this rental this rental offering, and that's an $80 user agreement right there. $80 per, if it's rental, I assume that's per year then? Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That is correct. And how does this stack up against Microsoft pricing for uh, the similar EA agreement? As you know, these bundling uh, options become kind of creative, and so it depends on the flavors that they pull out. But for the research we've done, it puts us in anywhere from 30 to 70% less expensive at this point. Yeah. Who are you guys expecting, Alan, to um, deploy this? What, what are kind of the target segments that you guys are going after? Well, the, the type of customer we're expecting to really take off on this are, are customers that already have elected and used GroupWise. And OES is one set of customers that we expect to really take off in this particular space. But in another case, we, we've also, in, in conversations with channel partners and smaller customers, smaller to medium-sized customers, there's a lot of interest in the smaller to medium-sized customer that can actually roll into this uh, workgroup suite and move forward. In fact, we have, we have past experience with this. We, uh, we rolled a, an, an experimental um, kind of prototype in EMEA last year. And what we found is a lot of medium to small customers really took off and started using this the, this bundle. And it and that particular bundle was missing some key components that we've added to this one, such as the open office capabilities. And one of the, the real powers about this open office for a lot of these customers is these customers are actually spending 30% of their IT budget just on Microsoft Office. And by plugging um, this open office capability into this thing, you can walk into you know a, a customer and say, I can save you 30% of your current budget, your IT budget, 
and we have a solution that's supported by Novell to help them help them help them go. And that would that. be like uh, any any kind of channel partner or whatever, some kind of integrator, anybody that is a service provider can can do that scenario with somebody. Customers got a big interest because they can reduce their uh, their office licensing costs. But let's go let's go into the office package just really quick because um, when we talk about open office, you know, there, there's the 1.x series which was kind of low on the features and things. Uh, this is this is two two O right. This is two O, which is a very powerful. You know, has a lot of capabilities that the one O didn't. It's actually really at the point where we come out with two O. Open Office is really a great alternative to you know the Microsoft the Microsoft Office suite. And then there's some additions that Novell's done to even make it better, and uh, you know to make it easier to manage and to make it so that it integrates better with the document format with with Microsoft. Are people actually going to have to do a big data migration in order to do that, or can they just? How compatible is it? So let's let's walk down the path. Uh, first off, let's talk a little bit about this. You know what happens within companies. What we found is is that about ninety percent of a cus- uh, of the actual users of Office in a in a company, really, really, what they need is basically a typewriter. There's about ten percent that actually need this really specialized stuff that you were just talking about. And so, if you think about just being able to roll the the the, the Office suite to those that. 90% of the users, immediately you've got a lot of gains. But it, above and beyond that is OpenOffice has some good compatibility with, with those features from Microsoft. But in the case that, that, that there's some challenges or issues there, the, the customer really kind of has a choice. Is they can actually do a migration and you know, work through all the issues, or they can just leave a set of customers out there or a set of users out there using the Microsoft capabilities for for that particular part and the and the office suite will open the the open office suite will open those other files be able to use them and they'll be able to work with them yeah we, we did some contextual inquiry uh, work here it, the, kind of the neat thing for novell is we deployed the one dot and the two dot versions to a huge you know a huge um employee infrastructure here and so we we, we had an opportunity to sit back and look how they used it and file format uh, compatibility is, is, is exceptional. But another really interesting thing we learned with the rollouts was it is acceptable. It is acceptable to take um, OpenOffice and run it on Windows. And, in fact, it's a very, very uh, smart way for these customers to say, you know, I want to start leveraging the benefits of open source without this holistic approach. And it's a very good first step, and it's how we broke into it here. You know, And now um, we do get to leverage the benefit of the 2.0 environment um, and it's it's a very cost-effective uh, process for Novell. Well, you know what? We apply that to our customers now, and I think they get that benefit as well. So, Alan, it sounded like you said that you'll see probably some people leaving their users in one part of the organization or like one type of user on Windows and whatever other pieces with Microsoft Office there, but other parts using uh, this package in order to get the lower cost from it. Yeah, this, this is geared to what we would call kind of the, the common knowledge worker. So you don't have to throw your whole organization over all at once. That's that's correct. If you have if you have some specially financed guys that you know use some very, very special you know features of Excel that maybe OpenOffice doesn't exactly work the way they expected it to, then you can leave them on that that version of Excel, and over a period of time educate the the, the team on how to actually use the OpenOffice version. It's not something that has to happen immediately. Okay, and OpenOffice is often the linchpin in things, so that's why I focus on it a little bit. I mean, that's that's one of the things that keeps a lot of Microsoft in- infrastructure in place in a lot of organizations and keeps people locked into an agreement with Microsoft. This lets people uh, start to drift away from that possibly. Now there's these other components you guys have talked about. 
So the group-wise side of things and the uh, open enterprise server, what do these different kinds of components provide? Well, as you know, uh, GroupWise is really email and calendary, but one other kind of fe new feature that we're doing in GroupWise I kind of like to highlight, which is right now we're getting ready to um, push out the mobile server for GroupWise. And what this is is support for all these wireless devices that are out there. And for our customers that are paying for you know, maintenance for either the open workgroup suite or paying for maintenance on GroupWise, we'll get this um, wireless capability for free. And in fact... In many cases, customers are, are, or people are out there paying $160 a user for this capability, and this will just be a part of GroupWise going forward. And it's actually much better than anything out, any, any of our competitors out there. It'll, it will support all, all of the different um, uh, devices out there except for BlackBerry. And BlackBerry, we have a great relationship with them and a partnership with REM to support BlackBerry. Other times when these kind of things have been tried out, there's often like the whole try to boil the ocean with a big integrated single install, try to get all the products so they drop down on a single server. Have you guys done like a technical integration of the installs or anything like that? So so once again, this, this is all based upon research and contextual inquiry. And we've actually, you know, we're a big product company. We had the small business suite that we pushed out with that type of, of a big monolithic install. The feedback from the base was, well, that's that's not in our best interest. Um, you know, we, we're maintaining these components on their own individual life cycles, et cetera. Um, the neat thing about the Open Workgroup Suite is with these different components we've talked about, if one of them has a major rev, we're going to re-rev the entire suite. Now, we're not going to, it, it, not, at least not right now, until somebody shows us a really brilliant way to do it, we're not going to have an integrated installation. You will see some integration down the road with the Workgroup Suite, but it'll be in terms of some of the services and how they interact together. You know, you will see some of the open office pieces come out through through a, maybe a, a, a group-wise piece or our advanced collaborative pieces, things like that. We've got some, some nice ideas and requirements for working on that, but the install, probably not. And really how this turns into a suite long-term is it's really about the back-end services working together and being able to add more value as we actually integrate the ability for each one of these to, to work together rather than the install portion. Is the actual rental agreement saying that as soon as your rental is over, you actually don't have license to use the software at all anymore? Or does it actually say that you're at just at the version that you've gotten up to while you were renting? So, so the rental version is, a, is on a yearly basis. So when the customer pays us for the rental, that they're good for the whole year. And in the, in the case of what the license agreement is, is for any of the open source components of the suite, right? The customer, of course, has right to go ahead and use that, but as soon as they're done paying for the rental version, they'll get no more updates. But for the non-open source product, what that means is you no longer use the product at the point that you stop paying rental. Well, that gives a pretty good overview. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to mention about it? Uh, I think you've hit on a lot of it. All right. Well, thanks very much for coming in, guys. We appreciate your time. Ah, that music can only mean one thing, and that's news from support with our friend Dave Mayer. This is a session we recorded on May 26th, so there may have been a couple updates since that time. Dave, welcome back to the studio. Thank you. It's a sad day over in uh, support today. We've uh, we've been shedding a few tears because uh, Desmond Decker passed away yesterday, and obviously a great man. And Desmond um, Decker worked in support? Oh, yes, uh, for many years. Um, then he left to, to uh, perform reggae. And at the first reggae hit in Britain. So, meanwhile... So so he has nothing to do with Novell. You're just throwing we, him we, out at me. No, we're just crying anyway and, and, because and, it's such a sad and day. And this is like a, a, a Scottish national hero of some sort. <laughs> 
<laughs> what do we got this week? So the silly one for this week is uh, ZMD bin, uh, which is part of uh, Zen Linux management. Process hangs at 99.9% utilization on initial install when the services are started. ZMD so, bin is what? what? In which of the Zen products, Zenworks products? Zen Linux management. Zenworks Linux management. All yes. right. And uh, the uh, this is in version 7. And the workaround... <laughs> Restart the ZLM7 service by issuing the command ZLM config restart. And that has been notified to engineering, fortunately, so that's not the final solution. So that's pending a fix right now? Yeah, that's, that's um, uh, as you'll be aware, that there are um, other platforms where uh, rebooting is uh, the, the way to fix things. At least with this one, you only have to restart the service and not reboot the whole host. And we'll remind all of our listeners right now that uh, we post all of Dave's different TIDs that he talks about here on the show on the Novell Open Audio website, which is www.novell.com forward slash open audio. And just look for this episode of the, of the show. You'll find it as a link. And you should find a place to send fan mail as well. So uh, how to move Print Manager from one Linux server to another. I loved what was uh, offered as the uh, fix for this one. Moving the NMPS manager from one server to another is even easier with Linux than it is with NetWare. Just do the following four steps. They're very simple. That one was published on the 22nd of May. I, I, I just loved reading that. It was life is easier with Linux. You just got to love it. Speaking of which, some of you will be aware that uh, on Linux, the, the community feels that uh, in, in order to provide a, a platform that offers the greatest functionality, it's worth building environments in which uh, features from other platforms can be run. Things like Wine to run Windows uh, applications on Linux. There's also uh, an Endish wrapper that lets you run Microsoft uh, Windows network drivers on Linux. And it's a great way of getting wireless drivers since they are often closed binary packages. It's a great way of getting them running on Linux. And uh, there's a tid that uh, has just come out explaining uh, that the Endish wrappers are not installed by default and uh, have to be installed and built manually on NLD9 and SLES9 and OES. And it gives instructions. And one of the things I spotted in there that I thought was a great idea is uh, when you install Linux, unless you've got a good reason not to, possibly a security reason not to, it's always a good idea to install a C compiler, all the C, C++ compilers and tools, and also to install a kernel source. That way you can download software packages, build them for yourself. I, I build Apache almost every time there's a new version. Same with PHP. It's a great platform for that kind of thing. So uh, there you go. If you want to use uh, binary drivers from Windows on Linux, get in this wrapper, build it on SLES 9, NLD 9, and OES, and it'll uh, do the job for you. And I was bridging forward doing that actually on one of my demo laptops uh, until just about uh, four or five weeks ago when Intel finally released open source, thank you, Intel, released the drivers for the uh, 3945 ABG wireless drivers that they're putting in a lot of Dell laptops now. So awesome. uh, it, it, it was a good bridge technology to get me there, but now I have an open source driver. Not that I've ever inspected the code myself, but... And obviously, nice obviously, that thing is happening uh, in huge numbers anyway. Uh, drivers for the uh, for Linux are are becoming uh, very commonplace. But just in case, for those few cases that you can't find, so system will not boot with error slash Linux RC mount not found. It's not so much uh, an interesting article for 
the particular problem. It's something that I see from time to time in support, and that is uh, you have to make a new RAM disk. Making it RD is the command you're going to need, and it will let you build a new RAM disk with new kernel drivers. That's something you should be aware of how to do. That's happening on what platform? That's uh, SLES? This one is uh, OES and SLES 9. Okay. But there's an initial RAM disk on pretty much any version of Linux that you'll ever boot. And the Making It RD uh, program lets you build a new one. It's a good thing to be aware of because if you get a new uh, binary driver for some piece of hardware that's required in the boot process, it's not going to work until you include it in the RAM disk. And another one that uh, reminds me of something that came up with a customer this week, NFS uh, features exposed uh, through port map where the services discovered through port map don't always work through a firewall because you can't punch uh, a specific port through because port, map, uh, port mapper makes those services dynamic. So when you're looking at uh, configuration of NFS coming back through a fire, firewall destination NAT, then be aware that you may have to go look at the configuration for the services that are using Port Mapper and include static port address. Call me an ignorant knave, but I mean, what? You're what, an ignorant knave. Well, okay. <laughs> what what value does NFS really have? I, I much prefer uh, using some uh, a file system like Samba or something like that that multiple platforms can get at. What's what's better about NFS on that? And why would somebody need to actually do this through a NAT? Well, NFS is lighter weight for one thing. Um, but it, it does miss a lot of features that are in things like Samba, not least of which is security. Uh, but uh, they, it, it's something that a lot of people who've been exposed to the Unix environment for a long time are comfortable with, familiar with. It requires a lot less setup. It's very simple to get a NFS export set up on a system. And where you have big distributed environments of Unix systems, it integrates pretty well. Uh, you don't need uh, special functionality to uh, get anything mounted. There are a couple of customers I've worked with that have big build environments in uh, developer uh, offices that uh, they use it almost exclusively. All right. All right. So the final thing I have is Mad Penguin's look at SUSE Linux 10.1. As you'll be aware, that's now available to the world, and it's rather nice. It's a great review if you're looking for a great Linux desktop. And i got to endorse that because I installed SUSE Linux 10.0 when it came out, and it makes a fine desktop. There are products like NLD and uh, SLED that make for a great corporate desktop, but if you're, if you're out there looking for something that gives you a little bit of um, a wiggle room more than you get with the corporate desktop, the SUSE Linux Pro versions are absolutely fabulous. I, I can highly endorse them. This uh, Mad Penguin review goes into lots of detail. I'll be posting the links to these, and you'll be able to find through that uh, the uh, a link to the review on Mad Penguin. But it looks like a good one, and I imagine no fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, just a straight review of a great product. Yeah, he's pretty. He's pretty technical guy. I mean, he's he he does not he does not do just the lighthearted review on it. He goes way into it. We'll talk to him about that on Tuesday. That sounds good. All um, right, Dave, thanks very much for point. joining us. Thanks for the updates. And if you guys have questions for Dave, we want him to cover anything specific about support at any point, you can always send us an email at openaudio at novell.com. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Thank you, Ted.
And that concludes this edition of Novell Open Audio. Remember that Novell Open Audio is a production of Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell. We invite our listening audience to participate with us by going to www.novell.com forward slash open audio. You can rate this episode and all of our past episodes. You can also see who we're going to be interviewing coming up. And you can post questions to us to open audio at novell.com or on our voicemail line, which is also on the website. You can ask questions of any of the upcoming interviews or suggest topics that you would like us to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. 